everybody, whether you're the president of a company or the paperboy, everybody has the exact same amount of time. You and I both have 24 hours a day. No more, no less. The question is, what do you do with your time? Real quick, my friends, go get my new book. It's called The Power to Publish. And it's at the top of the page of zbooks.co at the link, my new book. And it's going to help you with all of your self-publishing needs. Okay, back to that podcast. Welcome to ZBooks Successful Authors Podcast. And today I have with me a guy that I've been following since 2015 when I got started. And he is one of the top entrepreneurs and authors in the world. He's got the number one blog for marketing for authors, uh, the number one podcast for marketing for authors, and he's got the number one tool for authors, period, in the world. Welcome back to the show, Dave Chesson. Hey, thank you so much for having me. How you been? Not too bad, you know, living the dream, dreaming to live. <laughs> yeah, how's civilian life treating you? It's been really good. I, I thoroughly enjoy it. I, Are you still um, waking up at four in the morning or something? Uh, five now, so sleeping in. <laughs> yeah, but um, uh, <laughs> I was going to ask you about that because you have one killer schedule. And, um, but um, you were, I, I think you were a successful officer, a very interesting job description you had. Um, yeah. When you get out of, the, uh, of officer, uh, as an officer in the military, don't they have something called instant recall in a time of war they can always call you back? They could. Yeah, I, I, I don't know when that time period <laughs> uh, goes out, but I'm sure business won't be good if, if they need to recall me for war. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but, uh, so tell us about, it's been what, a year now? How's, how's any, the transition, any interesting things or just? No, just, uh, you know, kids getting older and um, yeah. it's just been really good being home. Definitely love that aspect of it all. And so now you're dedicating all your time to books and your platform. Yep. And going to dance recitals and softball games. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mr. Taxi, man. Yeah, that's right. That's the problem with all those extracurricular activities. But um, well, that's Very great. Tough. So now you're a full-time author, entrepreneur, right? Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. That's the dream, man. That's what we're all working for. So, or working to. And um, so number one question I get from my readers and subscribers is how do you use Publisher Rocket for fiction books? You know, so for nonfiction, it's always, yeah, just type in how to, you know, and, and find a need and et cetera. So what's, what's the number one way to use it for fiction? When it comes to fiction, uh, shoppers go to Amazon and they try to describe the book that they're looking for, okay? And most of the time, most shoppers, especially if they're not hardcore fiction, like, I mean, we're talking like hardcore fiction readers that yeah. read like four or five books a month at least. Um, like, usually they're not that. And they don't exactly know what they're looking for. So they'll start with something very vague. Like, say, for example, they'll, they'll type in like science fiction. Right. Amazon's not going to be able to pr provide them with the perfect science fiction just off of that word. So then the person's like, all right, science fiction, alien invasion. 
well, okay, it's getting closer, you know? And then they'll be like, science fiction, alien invasion, earth war. Notice that, like, we're starting to kind of break down to the point that the story's getting there, okay? That we can understand what the story's about. And that's kind of a, a very large-scale way of looking at how fiction shoppers shop. So way that authors can really start to develop an understanding of what those weird terms are um, <laughs> is that I tell them that you should break out a piece of paper and you should oh, no. look at paper. Uh, yeah, you know, for, <laughs> for idea generation. Uh, you break out the paper and you kind of create like four columns, okay? And the title of one column is uh, genre, okay? Ways to describe your genre. Another one is character roles and um, and kind of like any any special things about a character. Mm -hmm. Another is time settings, uh, time periods, and settings. Okay. Okay. And um, and finally, the last one's like the the catalyst, what starts the story. Okay. So let's go back through those, okay? The first one is, um, we'll just go with time periods and settings, right? Time periods cool. and settings. Is it a Western? Is it a, you know, pirate, you know, time period, the Caribbean? Uh, what location? What words can we describe the location and the time? And this is interesting because a lot of people say, well, there's no such, like, my time is like 1870 or something like that. There's no time period, you know, or word that represents that except for 1870. And you'll be like, well, actually, there's one called gas lamp. So yeah, there is. I mean, there are some really crazy cool terms that give you an idea of what time period or location. And if you choose gas lamp, you're talking like, you know, England or some kind of downtown, you know, metropolis of the 1870s. So start generating those ideas and really start thinking outside the box. Maybe even use a synonym generator or something that kind of helps you discover terms like gas lamp. All right, the next one is character roles and types, okay? Character roles and types are, are like ways that you can describe the character. Like, are they a mutant? Are they uh, alpha male? Are they, um, you know, an Amish girl, Amish teenager? Like, what words do you describe your protagonist and sometimes even the antagonist, if that's the kind of story? Um, you know, and those words again, really break down the story. The next is like catalyst, you know, like what, what sends our hero on their journey? Okay. What starts yeah. the whole romance? You know, what situation was the lady in before she found Mr. Right? You know, uh, was it apocalyptic? Was it zombie? Was it disease apocalyptic? Like what kicked it off? Okay. And again, that might not be what this movie is about, but it is the background that is more than just a post-apocalyptic. It's, it's a disease post-apocalyptic, you know? Um, and then, and finally, you know, there's ways of describing the genre. Now, a lot of people will say like romance. Well, no, no, no. There's like 50 shades of romance out there, okay? You've got like wholesome, you've got Christian, you've got steamy, you've got, you know, conservative, you've got family, you've got all different types. So describe your niche genre in there. And when you have those four giant columns, you can then start to really analyze. Using a program like uh, Publisher Rocket, my program, you can start feeding those, those words and descriptive phrases into Rocket and seeing if that is a good fit. Are people buying books that show up for that? Are people actually typing in those phrases? And then you can start to combine them. And you'll start to see really powerful results. Like, for example, I was working with a lady who was writing a book and her like target keywords were like second chance romance, which, okay, good. She got the genre, right? One of the four that we talked about. But then um, we started adding things like the time period, which for her was Victorian era. 
And then we started adding things like looking into, you know, the situation that this woman was in and turns out, you know, that the woman had a baby. So here is a woman, you know, uh, who has child. Notice that that's a, that's a completely different story, right? We know it's kind yeah. of wholesome. It's Victorian age. It's, you know, the type of second chance romance and it's with child. Mm-hmm. The phrase that we found was Victorian second chance romance with baby, <laughs> right? That, what is that? Five words, six words or so? Yeah, this, that, that's one keyword, right? That's one phrase. That's right. One phrase that you can target. And here's the thing is, is that there were lots of people searching for exactly that. Really? Because what happens is that people were thinking that they love Victorian romance and they love second chance romance, which I didn't know at the time, but second chance romance is uh, where you had love, you lost the love somehow, like either the guy died or went off to war or whatever. Um, and then you find love again. So it's like hmm. the second chance. Um, not like, not exactly divorce. Usually yeah. second chance is like centered around some tragedy or the guy's just a jack wagon. He's abusive and leaves or gets arrested or murdered, whatever. Can the we point back is, up is a that, bit? Sorry. Um, yeah. Can we back up a bit? Because how did you find that one big, huge phrase with well, Katie Rocket or Publisher Rocket? Well, just like we talked about, we, we yeah. broke down the four. We broke out a pen and paper. We wrote down all yeah. these descriptive phrases for time period, genre style, um, character roles. you put roles. that all in, in KDP Rocket, the one big phrase? Yep. We started combining them. We started putting wow. this next to that and so forth. And we saw that that was a really great phrase that explained the story and had searches and, and purchases. Wow. And what's even more so is it's a perfect fit to that person's exact book. So in this case, what we learned was is that the, the shopper, and it makes sense if you think about it, right? The shopper's mm-hmm. thinking Victorian, then they think second chance romance. But then at the last moment, they, at, they realize that they don't want this just to be that. Like, can it be about a woman with her child? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, and society's looking down on her, but Mr. Wright is looking and saying, hey, what's happening? <laughs> you know, and so right there is how she was able to, to discover her keyword. And we were able to build out a whole bunch of others pairing up those words and phrases that we built using the checklist. That's interesting. I didn't know you could put that many keywords in one search term in uh, pub. I got to get used to saying publisher rocket. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you can fit 50 characters inside of one keyword phrase. And so you get seven. And um, the way that I tell people is, is that, look, if you see, if you use rocket and you see that this particular phrase is perfect, Okay, like it is a great representation in your book. It's got good numbers and it looks good. Then just put that one phrase in there. You don't need to stuff it with everything else. Like just make it that core one. But then if you've done that after and you finally have like, okay, I found my perfect ones and you still have some left, then take some of those words that we had in there and and put them together and, and fill up your 50 because it will help to bolster the idea of what kind of time period this is and what kind of romance this is and what kind of character arch this is and all of those things. And it just helps to uh, Amazon to index your book in the right other keywords that you might not have mentioned. Yeah. Um, I don't remember. It's been a while, but is this also part of your free course? No, but uh, we've got a whole bunch of content. Um, about it. And also anybody who purchases Rocket, they have access to the tutorial videos. And we go really in depth in basically we have the tutorial videos on the left, which is step by step how to use each feature. And then to the right, we have like important videos and extra information. So like, say, for example, you're like, I kind of know keywords, but I don't really understand what to do with them or how do mm-hmm. I rank better for them. We've got like that in links to the perfect information uh, for them right there so that they can really grow their knowledge. 
Cool. Yeah. Um, so where is that again? That's at publisherrocket.com forward slash tutorials. Oh, uh, okay. Excellent. I got to get back there because I've just been using the tool like crazy and I forgot, you know, that you, you're doing the tutorials also. Awesome. Yeah, no worries. I, we try to make the program as intuitive possible so that, you know, one doesn't actually have to go to the tutorials. Um, but we definitely have those other pieces of information there just in case somebody needs to uh, grow or nurture some of their, their knowledge on it. Well, I love it. I think I told you already, I had this one book in my back pocket, which had been on a blog for a long time, and I never thought of publishing it. And then I used your tool, the rocket, and it showed me there was, um, uh, there was a need for the book in Amazon. And so I put it up there, and then I did some Amazon ads, and long story short, thousand something, $1,200 in sales, you know, not royalties, but, and so, yeah, thanks, Dave, you know. I wasn't even yeah, going to publish bet. the book. Yeah. <laughs> Boom. Nice. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. So it saved me some time and uh, was awesome. Um, so did you see, um, okay, just to, just to summarize again, because I forgot or didn't know this, you can put like a huge character string in the search field of Rocket. You that. can. Okay. I'm going to see. I didn't do that yet. Man. I've only been using half the tool. <laughs> okay. Um, have you seen this, um, this new tab called advertising reports in the AMS dashboard where you can go and download oh, yeah. all of this data and it shows you the exact search terms that people input in Amazon to find your book. Yep. And, um, are you using that? Would you update your keywords according to that data? I would definitely use that information for sure. I mean, the more you, you can understand about what's driving people to, um, you know, just to find your book, the better. And look at those terms and ask yourself, what were they thinking when they typed that in there? You know, yeah. um, a while ago, we were doing advertisement for Pat Flynn's first book, uh, Will It Fly? And the key was, was that we found out that Ivanka Trump actually ended up being his number one keyword that was bringing in the most sales. <laughs> I heard about that. That's crazy. Where yeah. does that come from? Well, and so we thought about it and I think what ended up happening was, is that his book was about like testing your business idea, seeing if your business yeah. idea will fly. And a lot of people who might be try, uh, typing in Ivanka Trump, uh, but, and I'm not getting political here, but some people may look up to her as a business figure, you know, mm -hmm. um, as an entrepreneur uh, or having entrepreneurial family or something of that magnitude. And therefore, as they were looking for books on her, perhaps that they saw like their true desire was is that they wanted to start a business and they saw his book and immediately they clicked on it and it converted. People bought it. They loved his approach. Awesome. That's, that's as far as we can do. Like we're trying to think to ourselves, you know, like what caused them to, to do this, but it gives us an understanding that for his book, it became very important for us to start marketing his book to other entrepreneur names yeah. or wives or tertiary people that are connected to big entrepreneurs. Uh, and through that campaign, we saw a lot of success because it made sense. If you were looking up other entrepreneurs, you're probably one yourself and you probably have that question. Will my business mm -hmm. idea succeed? That's why I keep telling my intermediate subscribers and authors that you got to get a tool like KDP Rocket, Publisher Rocket, because you, you wouldn't, you can't see that, you know, there's, you're not going to discover that on your own, you know, so you, it's, you got to get the tools to do that. Absolutely. Yeah. So a little tangent here, uh, it's not on the question sheet, um, uh, keywords, how often do you update your seven keywords that each book can have in the dashboard? 
Well, that really depends on a lot of things. I mean, the first thing is, is that um, I, when I first load up a book, you never know what keyword phrase is going to be the top one. So I, I put in my seven and uh, I'll do my research and I, I know that these seven are very strong and they, they will bring a lot of traffic, but sometimes they just don't resonate with, with the people mm -hmm. or, or the competition was too great and I'm not showing up for the keyword. So what I'll do is, is that I'll have the seven and I'll choose two at a time and I'll you know, basically like save the, the two somewhere else and then put in another two, right? A different two. Yeah. And then I'll hit publish and I'll give it a couple of days and see what happens. Because all of a sudden what I could see is I could see my sales increase or I might see my sales decrease. And if I see them decrease, I'll put the original two back in and I'll change a different two. <laughs> and so this way it allows me to kind of like, kind of keep going until I, I feel like I've hit my perfect balance where, you know, I've got, uh, you know, the highest amount, the optimized amount of sales. So that could be, maybe I nail it within the first couple of weeks or, you know, maybe it takes me a couple of months, but over time I'll start to find it. And then at that point, I'm kind of monitoring my sales and monitoring what's going on. And if I start to see the sales dip, I might change a couple of keywords um, or go and, you know, roll up the sleeves a bit and do a little bit more marketing just to revive the book up again. Uh, but that's my approach. Yeah, cool. So, um, however, how do you discern between, you know, when you're doing Amazon ads and when it's just organic? So, because when you're doing Amazon ads, those keywords, those seven keywords in your dashboard don't have much influence over the ads, do they? Well, uh, sort of. So, <laughs> the key is, is that what, I th what I've seen, and I've been doing a lot of testing, and I'll be coming out with a... Uh, um, I'm speaking at Nink and I'm going to be showing all my test findings here. But a key thing cool. is, is that What's I found Sorry, what, what? Nink, yeah. N-I-N-C. Which one was that? Um, it's a fiction author's uh, ah, okay. conference and you have to have had, like published three books and sold $50,000 worth in order to go to it. Um, so like they're like uber nerds in, in, in the marketing. So I get cool. to kind of like roll up the data nerd sleeves. But the thing is, is what we found is that Amazon's algorithm, like they want to show popular and selling books, right? Uh, the whole purpose of their algorithm is if somebody types something in, they want to provide the book right at the top that has what they think has the highest chance of selling. Well, there are a couple ways of convincing the algorithm you should get that. Number one is, is that, you know, if somebody types that in that keyword and they find your book and they click it and purchase it, then they just send a direct signal to Amazon that that was the book that they were looking for when they went shopping. Mm -hmm. Another way though, is just showing that, Hey, you definitely deserve to be in that Reese in that, in those results, but also that you're selling well on other keywords. So you have a higher chance of selling if they provide, if they show you more. And what we've learned is that that whole selling on other keywords, I don't think Amazon like says, Oh, but these sales were from Amazon ads. So we're not going to count that. What I'm seeing is, is that when my Amazon ads are selling more books, right? Mm -hmm. I end up being indexed for even more category or for even more keywords. So mm -hmm. my book starts showing up more on Amazon searches naturally. Mm -hmm. So cool. therefore it's like from the Amazon ads, it, it just the pumping up of more sales causes all my rankings to kind of show up more. And that's why like a lot of authors, when they first launch their book, you know, they do this giant launch and they got all this fervor and people purchasing it. And then they see these high sales. And a lot of that's, you know, it's because their book is just showing up more on Amazon. But then as, as all of that momentum starts to die, 
you know, it's not as live and, and it starts to not show up as much and therefore it <laughs> stops selling as much and it just starts to kind of like, yeah, yeah. We all know that the, 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 the yeah, the post launch depression there. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. call it, I call it the, um, honeymoon effect, you know, it's yeah. like after the honeymoon. Yeah. That, that sounds better for sure. <laughs> so, um, okay. Now that we're in Amazon ads, I mean, everybody's complaining and why, oh, they don't work anymore. They're less effective. So have they changed or has the A9 algorithm changed lately? I think that I can't really say for sure, like what Amazon's AMS is doing. Mm -hmm. I, I've, I haven't seen a drop. I have seen certain people say that there's a drop, but here's the thing for the past year and a half, uh, there's what ends up happening is, is that there are a lot of authors out there that will have a drop happen. And they turn to, you know, to Facebook and they say, oh, I saw a drop. And somebody else says, I saw a drop too. <laughs> but we never know why a drop. Like sometimes it's because the person hasn't even updated their ads in a while. Like they haven't added new keywords, you know, yeah. that this is an old campaign and it finally, you know, dropped and they don't realize that they got to keep them up. Yeah. So we never know whether or not the trend that people are, are claiming on, on social media is either driven by um, Amazon or just driven by, you know, not knowing or not having had lots of years of experience. What would, what would definitely start to make me have pause is if I saw people who had been crushing it for a long time on ads all of a sudden drop. I did see one person in particular that, that, had, that had been just crushing it on ads and then all of a sudden they dropped from like $10,000 in ad sales a month to like $2,000. Wow. Uh, that hurts. Yeah, and that, that's definitely a hurt for sure. But that person, again, like uh, that one was one of those where I was like, huh, yeah, that's interesting. But I'm not so sure yet. I just haven't seen enough to make me feel like something crazy has happened. And I also know that it's in Amazon's best interest that people make money from ads because if they're not, then they're not going to use it. And yeah. if they don't use it, Amazon doesn't get paid. Yeah. I'm, don't they have a blog for the A9 algorithm or do you get some kind of insider insights because of the, the software? Well, so yeah, they have a website called A9.com. Uh, and it's just basically like a big company page that kind of gives ah. you the 411 on who they are. So no useful information there, huh? I don't know. There's one piece of information I like to point to. Um, a lot of people say that, you know, Amazon doesn't index the book description, you know, that therefore it doesn't matter. Don't put keywords in there or whatever. But if you go to a9.com, it flat out says, yeah, of course we index the book description and all product <laughs> descriptions. That's the first thing we do, you know? Yeah. So I'm like, all right, well, that's. There you go. That answers that question. And I could go into a whole podcast episode on, on why I think or how I think Amazon goes about it because it's not as direct. A lot of people say, oh, if I copy and paste a whole sentence of my book description into Amazon search, you can't find my book. Therefore, it doesn't work. Yeah. Or, oh, I put some gobbledygook in, in my book description, some like <laughs> crazy code. And then I copy and paste it into Amazon it doesn't show up. I don't think that's how it works. Like, but again, I could go on for that for a long time for something else. But the point though is I, I, I have gotten some straight from the horse's mouth information from a9.com. So it is fun to spend like 30 minutes there just reading up on their verbiage and hmm. give you some pretty good details there. Not all of it. I thought you could pull some of your big gun levers and talk to some insiders there or, or because, you know, if you're a product owner and you have their a, uh, access to their API, then I thought that they would have some, you know, internal newsletter to creators about their A9 or something. Hmm. But no, 
No, definitely not. Um, I know some people that work in there and I've talked to them informally about some stuff, but nothing, nothing where I've got like the inside scoop. Yeah. They're all they're, That's of, top secret stuff, huh? Well, a lot of it's just operating the software, you know, understanding their API, understanding, having been in this game for so long and watching all the dynamic changes that Amazon's made, one can start to speculate where they're going next because of having spent so many years responding to what they've done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, one more tangential question. I just interviewed Brian Meeks, and it's it's my favorite question. Uh, when do you notice? So I I think my genre is pretty small uh, with the children's books, children's leadership books. When do you notice uh, the law of diminishing returns or audience exhaustion, and how often do you recommend to refresh your keywords? Well, a lot of that comes down to. Um, how you're ranking for them, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you could select all these keywords, but if you're not showing up on the first page of, of Amazon for that keyword, then you're obviously not benefiting from it. So, yeah. and, and how hard you got to work to do that or how hard to, re- or when you should just refresh it. A lot of that also comes down to your competition. Um, there are some terms where like my book has stayed number one in the keywords for like five plus years, but I really don't have that much competition. So it doesn't take much. But then again, there's times where it's like, you know, you can battle and you can you can work up to get to the top for that one. But, you know, so is everybody else. Yeah. And that's why like coming up with those long phrases that we just discussed in the in the beginning of this podcast can be really beneficial because mm-hmm. who would have thought Victorian second chance romance with baby? Yeah. That's so not can, that's not yeah, what yeah. most of those romance writers are putting in. They're usually putting in like romance, you know, yeah. something very broad and not very descriptive. And so I remember one of your tips from many podcasts and blog posts of yours that you should always use um um what do you call it the anonymous browser and not logged in and then, you know, look at your keywords in Amazon and see if your books are coming up for them. Yeah, and, incognito uh, mode. Yeah, incognito mode, that will do it too, huh? Yeah, that way you don't have to log out all the time. Yep, and for our listeners, if you don't know how to do that, if, you've got a, if you're using Chrome, just right-click on the Chrome icon and then select incognito mode, and it will open up a browser where all of your data and cookies and all that are blocked so that Amazon can't get any information from you and instead just shows you raw information. And if you're a geek like me, you hit Control-Shift-N, and that opens a new incognito browser. <laughs> Yep. So, <laughs> okay. Um, what was I going to say now? Now I now I uh, disrupted myself. Um, A nine algorithm. Uh, ah, refreshing your keywords. Ah, yeah. Okay. Um, uh, the so you just got to keep at it. Keep refreshing your keywords. But um, yeah, audience exhaustion. If you're in a super small niche. Uh, have you noticed seasons? So what I do is I just stop my ads for a certain book for like a month and like kind of let the audience refresh. Is that a viable, plausible thing? Yeah, that's, that's, I've heard that working for a couple of people. Uh, Another thing too is ask yourself, you know, if it needs to be, if the book itself needs to be refreshed. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the things I did on my podcast was I have this thing called the dead, uh, revive a dead book series. Yeah. Yeah. And it's full of people who, or, you know, that they, they had a book, it was doing well, then the sales died. And then for some reason they decided, and they always talk about what that reason was, they decided to come back to it. 
And what steps did they take to revamp and rebreathe life into the book itself? Now, most of the time, this is where the book has been like dead for, for a year, you know? Yeah. Not something like a, a month or a couple of weeks, but that it, it was like they moved on to write more books. And now they're looking back and they're saying, hey, you know, if only this book, which I know is really good, if I gave it a real chance. And a lot of what, it, what, what, it, what these authors will show is that as they moved on to write more books, they learned a lot. They learned how to make better covers and better book descriptions and how to work Amazon ads better. And so they come back to that old book, which is still a good book, but this time they give it a cover that really fits its genre and is more uh, in line with the target keywords and has a book description that you know flows better. And once they've added these things, then they rebreathe life into it, like give it a spark, a jump start, yeah. uh, by throwing some Amazon ads, changing up the keywords, sending you know a couple of email blasts, doing some promotions, and next thing you know, it's like taking off like it's a new book again. Yeah, you know, I wanted to be on that podcast, but it didn't work. I think I wrote you an email about it. I I had this book, and the plan was I was going to put it in Barnes and Noble. And it didn't work. <laughs> ah. so, but a long time ago, when, when I started Amazon ads, I think 2016, that blew it way up to the top, to number one in its category again. But that was 2016. So maybe I'll have to revive it again and try to go on your podcast about that. But, so I'm going to have to use a different method. Because remember in 2016, man, Amazon ads were just working for everything. They were so easy, you know? Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot less competition at the time, but you know, I'd yep. still say it's a it's an extremely viable uh, method for marketing because in this case, you know, you just have to be a bit smarter about it. You can't just kind of go in there and throw in uh, the common terms, and that's one of the things we've been working on in the program. We just did uh, you know the update to publish a rocket, and we've added new features that are in line with some of the new things that Amazon's doing for ads. You know what's so awesome? It's got, you have now the print book section. So you can yep. now research print books. So the, the tool is so unique. Uh, man, thanks, Dave. I can't, I can't praise it enough because it's exactly what I've been looking for, you know? <laughs> and there's no other tool that does it. This is a unique tool in the world. Glad you like it. Yeah. yeah I'm, I'm, I'm a writer myself and, I'm always, and I've got a programming team. So I'm always trying to find ways to make my writer life easier. Definitely, definitely. So, okay, let's go on that one a little bit. I know you don't like talking, you know, giving up your pen names and your keywords, etc. And uh, but so, how many books do you have published? Are you publishing one a year, or what's your schedule look like? Uh, it comes in and fits in. You know, all of a sudden it's like I'll get a couple books and then not. I'm actually at nine books now. Um, okay. And I oh, would wait, say only at nine books. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've been doing this for <laughs> I don't know five or six years. But I think uh, we got to tell the listeners that you make a like massive box with each book because that's the whole point of Publisher Rocket is you don't waste time on books and experimentation like I do publishing 20 books and only two get traction, you know? Yeah, no, my, every one of my books except for one, one, one's been semi, semi failure. And I, I, that was my second book I ever wrote. But uh, all of the others range from uh, $1,500, $3,000 a month. Excellent. And they have for, since they were, since they were made. And that's not like none of those books was this giant, huge moneymaker. Like, Oh man, I was rolling the dough. Yeah. But what it was, was that I knew that there was a constant request for this kind of book. Mm -hmm. You know, people were constantly searching for it and there was like zero to no competitors out there. And I was like, well, 
if you write this book and you write it good and you really help people, like it will sell and it will sell for years to come. And so that was really my strategy. Cool. Well, I don't want I don't want your pen name, you know, but uh, can I ask you, uh, do you do genre hopping or what genre are you in? Nonfiction? Uh, mainly nonfiction, although I've definitely done some science fiction. Um, nonfiction, though, for the most part, and it's, it's, it's been all over the place. Many a times it's been something where I'm very comfortable with writing. Uh, there was one case where it was in a subject that was amazing, but I was like, I wasn't comfortable writing it. So I actually teamed up with somebody who was a specialist and we worked together, me helping them to understand, you know, how to write engaging, you know, fun and entertaining, but yet smart nonfiction books. And they were using their intelligence on, on and experience in that subject yeah. matter to create something beneficial. Well, that's, you know, that's a, a great strategy if you, you know, get the people that you need, you know? Yeah. Like I said, though, it's one, it's like one of those where it's like, oh man, no, I got, I got to write this book. This is awesome. And, yeah. but I was like, obviously I'm not the person. So it was a good time. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, but so what, you know, the, um, you know, the, 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 what do you call it? The advertising uh, icon, Gary Halbert. That's what he did. He went, in the old days of direct response, he found he went to those big, huge lists and saw where the need was, and then he got the specialists to write the, you know, the the report, and mm -hmm. sold PDFs for forty bucks, you know. And so I think forty-four million dollars is a good validation there, you know. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. So um, I think Seth Godin also did something similar. He calls he he said he started with book packaging. You know, with, with exact same thing, looking where the need is and then getting the specialist to write the book with them and then packaging the book. So, yep. uh, yeah, nothing wrong with that. So, um, so you got nine books now. I think that that really speaks to me because there's so many authors out there trying and I'm a spaghetti at wall thrower. And, and with, with your tool, you can just, you know, get make the book uh, that, that works and save you time. So. Yeah. So um, I've noticed recently, no, not recently, over a year now, you, you've had a podcast for over a year, right? Yes. Although it's been on a break for the past couple of months, because when we were working with creating version 2.0 of Rocket, Publisher Rocket, mm -hmm. uh, it really took up like a majority of my time to make sure that we did it right. And we could push the fold and, you know, we could add new features. And so, so yeah, so it's been on hold. So when did you start your podcast and why? Well, a lot of it was that I wanted to make sure that we we have a lot of like information on kindleprinter.com. Matter of fact, I will not hit publish until I believe that it is the best article on the subject. Yeah. And But the problem is a lot of people don't have time to sit down and read those articles, right? Mm -hmm. They don't have the ability to go through. So what I did was I created a podcast that would allow people to learn how to book market while on the road. Now, what's really awesome about it is that even if I if even if I did pause it or I never did another podcast episode again, that all those episodes are still very useful and viable. Yeah. Now, the way that we set it up was that I would start each uh, episode with kind of the lesson. All right, here's the lesson. This is what you're going to learn. All right, let's talk about it. Okay, great. Now that you've, you've heard about this lesson, I'm going to bring on an author who did what you just learned and we're going to hear about it. We're going to learn through them. We're going to gain experience. And then at the end of it, I give a recap on everything we learned. So it's like, Hey, do this tactic to figure out the best title. Let's talk to this author who did that tactic. And then we yeah. talk and we hear, and then finally, all right, here's the recap lessons learned. So, I mean, it really is like a, a audio 
lesson. Yeah. And one of the things I did too is I said to any, you know, I tried to find a lot of authors that, you know, weren't like, I didn't want to go for the, the typical every famous person or anything. Um, you know, because like, for example, I'm good friends with uh, Kevin J. Anderson, who, is, who wrote like a lot of the Dune books, you know, oh, yeah, after yeah. Frank Herbert died. He also yeah. did like Jedi Academy. Him and I have worked together, but it's like uh, to interview him about book marketing, you know, he's, I mean, the guy's an award winner. You know, yeah. it's, yeah. he has teams, he has publishing companies that pay an arm and a leg for anything he writes. So I try to go after like people who are in the, in the ditches, you know, like fighting, <laughs> you know, tooth and nail that were like yeah. clawing out of it so that they could show their struggle and it's so fresh for them. And ultimately their story is the example of what the person just learned. So. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Yeah. I, um, what was his name? Because I was I was just talking to Brian Meeks and he also had something to do with him. I mean, wait a minute. Frank Herbert's the author of Dune. Who is this guy? You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Kevin J. Anderson. And he's writing Star Wars, man. That sounds like some bread and butter right there. Yeah. He's actually been to, um, uh, what's his name's ranch. Cool. Um, Lucas? George Lucas's ranch, but he calls it it's not Star Wars Ranch, but it's something kind of ridiculous like that. Tatooine yeah. or something in the yeah. out there in California. Yeah. <laughs> so your, t- your podcasts are typically like around 20 minutes. Is there an SEO reason for that? You know, no, I think my thing is, is that like, it's just my personal preference. I have a hard time listening to long podcasts. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, if, going to create your own podcast you might as well do it <laughs> you know yeah. at, at your preference um so it also forces me to be very succinct so i have to actually spend a lot of time in preparing that lesson um and usually i'll try try to shoot for five to ten minutes on on the lesson and then i give our guest you know a 10 minute mark like you got 10 minutes to go through this um to tell your story and then i've got like five minutes or so to recap everything cool Cool. Yeah, because I'm, you know, always hearing that long form content, even uh, uh, YouTube videos and uh, is in again, but I haven't seen any actual data, you know, some interesting. So, okay, so what's your number one tip for somebody who wants to start podcasting? Well, I think specifically one needs to like look at what is the goal, right? What is the goal to your podcast? Um, And make sure that you write that down. Like for some people, you know, for, for me, it was making sure that we were able to translate Kindlepreneur content into audio content that is succinct, right? Mm-hmm. I wanted to help teach people book marketing while they're on the go. So therefore, there were a lot of times where like, you know, I could have easily, easily stepped out of that and made it easier on myself and gone a different route or there was some hot topic, you know, yeah. that was out that it was like, oh, that'd have been sweet, you know, and that might have like pulled me off course. But so long as I remember that, no, every episode needs to be a lesson that teaches, you know, then it kind of kept me creating, you know, within a certain form. And at the same time, what really helped was that people came to understand the show's structure. And they almost welcomed it. I think one episode I did something different. I had like two or three emails from people immediately just saying, hey, why'd you do that? Don't do that. You know, <laughs> we're creatures of habit. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But then you have to see if the people who are complaining are the 80 or the 20%, you know? Yep, that's it's, true. It's hard because you're actually blind to the other side of that data, you know? Absolutely. It's, it's... Um, 
So I'm, I'm a big Taleb fan, Nassim Taleb. I think everybody should read every book of his. <laughs> okay. So have you heard um, Google is indexing podcasts now? That's what I've heard. Yep. Uh, any, have you dug deep into that yet? Any tips or you just know about much as I do right now, huh? <laughs> you know, it just, it makes sense that they're starting to translate. I mean, it was a big thing for YouTube for, uh, for them to start translating YouTube videos. Cause let's face it from an algorithm's perspective, it has no idea what's on that video, right? It can't yeah. watch it. Um, so instead what they started to work on was creating, you know, translation, closed captioning. And now they could take the words and kind of figure out what the video is probably about. So from a, from a Google indexing purpose, it became very important. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't surprise me that they took that same technology and have started using it towards podcasts to help yeah. create a better, understanding of the podcast as well as yeah. you know a, a better way to serve people by helping people to find podcasts since they are very popular are you going to start trying to rank your podcast now or a podcast episode probably not um what we did do though is, is that i took the podcast episodes because i do have podcast episode pages on kindlepreneur and you can go to the podcast <laughs> section on the on the website and look but i also found like if there's a certain podcast episode that really helps an article i'll also put that podcast on that article so mm -hmm. it does a couple of things for google seo number one is is that google knows that there is a recording on this page and i think that the algorithm is able to say hey what's a better page one that's just words or one that's got words pictures videos uh, audio recording right so i think that that's one factor the second thing is is that google you know, uh, there's also time on page. The more that people spend on that page, the more indication to Google that, hey, this must be good content because they're not immediately leaving. Yeah. So if somebody stays on the page to listen to the podcast, that, that helps the metrics as well. Yeah, what is that called? Dwell time or something? Yep, something like that. Uh, time on page is another one. Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, so I um, what, somebody asked me that actually, and I said, well, I've been looking, I'm, I'm a podcast junkie myself and I've been looking at podcasts a lot uh, uh, for several years. And um, so I think it's really a good idea that you put like a full description, like a blog post in, in the description of your podcast, you know, and that shows up on all of your podcast episodes everywhere. And um, I noticed a lot of people doing that with a bunch of hyperlinks and stuff and uh, it works for me anyways. Do you uh, do that to your podcast descriptions too? So I do, but the key is, is that I didn't do it so much for indexing purposes. I told my, my VA that we want to make sure that they're great notes because mm -hmm. my, again, it comes back to, to what I said was, was that this is for people on the go, which means mm -hmm. most likely they're driving their car. They don't have a notebook, so yeah. they may hear some great stuff. I want them to be able to come back to that page, that post where the podcast is and be able to read and be like, perfect. And either print that off or read over it or something like that. But, you know, you like, let's create the content under the episode to help people who just listen to the episode. Yeah. Makes sense. Makes sense. So I remember years ago when we interviewed, uh, we were really went down uh, the road about um, blogging and SEO and how you, you make a blog rank and then you get your book. You know, I'm, I'm totally glossing over this, of course. But, you know, so are you still um, blogging and, and then uh, and getting traffic from your blog to your book? I do, yes. Yep. That's cool. That's, 
still a fun little tactic. It, it's one of those things where because I'm always constantly sending traffic from Google, mm-hmm. you know, to the pot, to the niche website and then to the book, mm-hmm. uh, even if Amazon tries to like lower the ranking a bit on my, you know, on my, my book mm-hmm. that I still am making sales and probably more sales than the other guy. And so it pumps me right back up. So do you have a blog for each book? Um, just about almost. Mm-hmm. Yep. Cool. And so what's working really well in the SEO world now? Well, I mean, there's a lot of things. I, I think just a lot of it is making sure that, you know, that you really do write the best content. Now that's not, that's not a cop out on your, your question there. I think it's just more important. I think yeah. like, for example, back in the day, if, if you, like you might do your keyword research and you'd find like some juicy keyword that was like green, best green running shoes. Yeah. And then you would find another one that was best red running shoes. And then what people would do is they'd go write an, an article all about best green running shoes. And then you'd write another article about best red running shoes. Yeah. Well, Google kind of got smart and said, nah, let's face it. It's really just best running shoes. And then the best running shoes article will be one that incorporates a little section on green and red and blue, you know, so Mm -hmm. sometimes it's really best to come in and say, Hey, I want to write this article. That's, that's truly all encompassing that, that doesn't just kind of, you know, slightly talk about this and, and gloss over that. It actually goes in depth. And also Google loves articles that are highways and not cul-de-sacs. And what I mean by that is that this article is like a great source of information. It's leading you on to other stuff. You know, it's helping you to grow and, you know, even maybe move to other articles on the subject on other websites. So that's why also linking out is a very good indication that you are a highway and not a, you know, a cul-de-sac. Yeah. Dead end. Yeah. That's cool. Um, So have you tried uh, the infographic technique? I, you know, really haven't. No, I, I've heard of a lot of people who do and uh, it's worked out really well for them. But the key is for me, especially from a marketing standpoint, mm-hmm. is that I, you know, I like to focus on like one particular tactic. Um, otherwise, I feel like I'll work really hard and I'll drop the ball. So what I mean by this is that, you know, like SEO is my thing. So I really focus on that. And yeah, I've heard infographics are great, but it is it's just something I haven't spent the time to do and therefore yeah. not do legitimately. Oh, I, I dig it because I'm into graphics and stuff. And so I, I was trying that a bit. And, and um, one of them not really took off, but started ranking. It is ranking now. So I'm going to be looking at that some more because it's just a technique that I can do, you know. Nice. And, uh, yeah, it is cool because for me, it's a high yield, low, low input, high yield, you know, because I can get the graphic going pretty quick. Mm-hmm. Okay, so then what is your most favorite way to get a blog or a new blog to rank quickly in the big Google? Well, I would say it starts with selecting the right keywords. Uh, You know, making sure that you're not going, especially if you're a new website, make sure that you're not going after something super competitive. I mean, you may write the best article. You may have done everything perfect, but your website never gets crawled by Google. It doesn't understand what it is. So Mm -hmm. therefore you're going to have that severe disadvantage. Um, And that's why it's very important not to go in there and say, I'm going to write an article on how to lose weight. (laughs) (laughs) Good luck with that. Yeah. 
And maybe it is the greatest article ever, but it just doesn't work that way. So it really starts by doing great research, finding you know niche articles and building those out until Google's had enough time to say, oh, wow, yeah, this is, this is the website on such and such. Mm -hmm. Do you have any uh, resources or any uh, blog posts in mind about that? When it comes to SEO, not really. I mean, there's, you know, Backlinko is a great website that helps yeah. uh, people learn about it. Brian Dean's, you know, devotes a lot of his life to it. Yeah, that's um, where I got the infographic technique from. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's really good. He also focuses yeah. on YouTube as well. Yep. Uh, that's a good source of information. Uh, I really love authority hackers. I think that they do a great job as well, especially if you're trying to build a, a website that makes money. Mm -hmm. uh, they incorporate the whole affiliate side with SEO side and other advertisement things. And I think they're just an incredible source. And they, they really write. I mean, it's funny when you talk to SEOers, they know how to write a full-blown mm -hmm. great piece of content because huh. they have to if they want to rank. Authority hackers. Yep. Okay, I'll write that one down in the show notes. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, have you read uh, George Gilder's new book, Life After Google? No, no, I oh. haven't. I've, I've just finished a Google book, but it was called Work Rules by their human resources president. Huh. Hmm. Now, this is a book, uh, George Gilder is really interesting. He's about 80 years old, I think. And um, he was there, for example, when they coined Moore's Law, you know, and he, he, so he goes and interviews all of these people. And anyways, very interesting book about the future of computing and internet and Google and, and the whole thing. So I highly recommend it. And uh, so anyway, so like I said, um, uh, the first time we talked, uh, we were very blog and SEO centric. So I think that's how you started, right? So do you consider yourself a blogger or an author or what? That's really a good question. Uh, I mean, I guess I could also um, consider myself a CEO of a software company. There you go. Yeah. Well, there's 19 people that work for me. So uh, how about master of the internet? <laughs> no, not yet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, um, I don't know who it was. It was Ramit Sethi. It was a Tim Ferriss podcast and he went around and, and uh, went to parties and, and just experimented like telling people I'm a writer. You know, and then the next day he would say, I'm an author. And he said the best one above all, just shoulders above everybody else was the author, you know? Yeah. Author is kind of negative actually, but, uh, so, okay. So, uh, then what got you started in writing? Well, I was stationed in Korea and my wife and I, I was trying to find a way to actually get out of the military and be able to be full-time, you know, at home with my, my family. And the problem is, is that you can't do that with a brick and mortar or, you know, some kind of like entrepreneur, you know, shipping things. So it was cool because as an author, you could write the book, put it up on, on, on Kindle direct publishing and, you know, make money while you sleep and not have to be there to answer questions or to fulfill orders or things like that. So it was like the perfect situation. Do you have um, uh, tangential, of course, uh, Kindle Select? Do you have an opinion on that? There's a pro and a con to it. I actually have a podcast episode on that where I brought in people who were like super pro, you know, Kindle Select and others mm -hmm. that were pro putting it yeah, on other that. markets. And I think that the, the best way to sum up that is that if you choose one, 
be sure and be prepared to actually, you know, market it using the benefits of that. So a lot of people like poo poo on the other markets like Barnes and Noble and iTunes. But what's funny is they'll put it on those markets and they'll do nothing. Yeah. And I'm like, that's the same as like just putting your book up on Amazon and walking away yeah. and then getting what mad at Amazon. Um, the truth is, is that if you really want to benefit from those other markets, you need to roll up your sleeves and do a little bit of work. You know, at, instead of just pushing people to drop reviews on Amazon, how about you have a couple of them drop reviews on Barnes and Noble? Yeah. And what's funny is, is that those four reviews on Barnes and Noble will go like 20 times further than four reviews on Amazon because yeah. there aren't that many reviews. So you really stick out a lot more with four than you would on Amazon. Doing things like that. Uh, some people will do Facebook ads. Well, why not just do a Facebook ad that targets people who love Barnes and Noble mm -hmm. and whatever your other targeting is and then send them to your Barnes and Noble book. Uh, when you do those things, you'll actually see a lot more return and then you're going to find some great things. But if you don't intend to do that, then mm -hmm. give your book the best advantage it can on Amazon and just make it Kindle Select. Yeah, yeah. So you brought it up, keyword Facebook ads. So we know you do Amazon ads, but do you do Facebook ads too? And, and what's better? <laughs> no, not really. Um, I'm not a fan of Facebook ads because, well, I never spent, I never made myself like a master of Facebook. Um, matter of fact, for my company, I hired uh, some Facebook agency to come in and, and work that aspect. But with regards to Amazon ads, the reason why I love those most and more so than, than Facebook is that in Facebook, you have to convince somebody to leave one platform, stop looking at you know their friends uh, lunch or you know the cat videos or whatever come on over to Amazon and decide right then and there that they not only want to buy a book but that they want to buy your book and that's like a lot that's actually pretty ridiculous um, instead though with Amazon ads you're getting your book in front of people who were already there on Amazon who had already decided that they wanted to buy a book they just need to figure out which book hmm. I, would, I tell you which one's easier Convincing yeah. somebody to do all those other things with Facebook yeah. or just to buy your book, which is Amazon ads. Yeah, yeah. Less resistance. Well, you're going to the source too. Yep. You know, straight to the audience. Yeah, I love them too. Um, so jumping around in the questions here, um, how do you get reviews? Well, that can be from a lot of things. Number one is, is that... Um, well, since I'm not using emails and I'm not doing, you know, giant launch parties or anything because they're all on pen names, uh, one of the ways that really helps me is that I make sure to ask for them in the book. Uh, and what I specifically do is I humanize myself. Uh, don't sit there and say, hey, and if you like the book, please leave a review. Like, whatever. That's not going to convince anybody to stop what they're doing and go do a review. Yeah. Uh, the other thing, too, is don't assume that the reader understands how important a review is. I, before you became an author, did you really care or really think that it was that important to leave a review? review or not. So yeah. what I do is I'll have that page and I will say things like, you know, uh, you know, Hey, thank you so much. It means the world to me. It's been an honor to be able to sit and be able to write this for you. And hopefully, you know, it's going to help and make a difference in whatever it is that you're trying to do, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, if you have the time, it would mean the world to me, you know, um, and my writing and help me to learn more as well. If you could leave a review, I will read each one of them, you know, hmm. thanks, et cetera. And the reason is, is that you're, you're implying on, on how important it is that it will be used, be used to benefit you. And that it also lets them know that you will read it. Now, this does a couple of things. One, it gives importance and it also makes it like you're expecting it, which means they'll kind of be letting you down. And third is that it reminds them that you're a human and you're going to read it. Let me tell you, if they got to the end of the book 
they probably felt it was beneficial. Maybe at least at the least it would be a three, right? Because if they hate it, if it's a two or one, they don't finish reading it. Yeah. So if it's a three, okay, that humanization, you're going to remind them that they may hurt your feelings. I'm not going to lie. That'll, that'll probably change that three to a four at least, hmm. right? And the five is going to be a five and the four may turn to a five. The point though is, is that you're, you're reminding them it's a human. It's kind of like people on, have you ever read the comments on YouTube? I mean, ugh. Yeah. Most of the time it's horrible, but a lot of people farm. just, yeah, exactly. But they just forget that that is, you know, that they're humans, that they're actually hurting people's feelings. So yeah. again, write that back aspect, think about it, humanize yourself, uh, show its importance and you'll see a lot more, more positive reviews. coming. I like that. Uh, I've never heard it put that way though. Humanize yourself. I am human. I <laughs> know. Any more tips on this humanizing thing? <laughs> No, I've heard people say that they do like a cute, funny little picture. Uh, I say that depends on your demographic. There, if you're writing serious information, definitely don't do a stupid cat picture. But like if you're writing to, um, you know, a demographic of like 55-year-old women, heck yeah, put that cute little kitten picture in there, you know, uh, with the cute little kitten eyes looking up at them as you write that, you know, that humanized aspect. You're probably going to get them to do something. Do, do you uh, recommend, do you have your picture about the author your own profile pick in there? No, but if I wasn't doing, um, if I wasn't doing a, uh, I know I'm getting towards your genre there. Sorry. No, no, no. But if I wasn't doing a pen name or if I wasn't, um, writing on, on very serious information or so, I probably would put a a family picture Hmm. if I got permission from my wife and you know, the kids, No, because it, it reminds them, it reminds them that, uh, you know, again, I have a family and that the yeah. family is kind of depending on this. So yeah. again, it will, it will help with that review. That's cool. That's a great one. I haven't heard that one. Yeah. Okay. So you kind of already answered it, but do you launch your books or any, any launch hacks or anything? I have. Yeah. Um, but a lot of times because of the websites that I use the website as kind of the launch aspect. Uh-huh. Um, okay. but I'll definitely do promotions, book promotions. I'll definitely use KU, um, when necessary and kind of do the free books and all the other benefits that come with it. Cause Hey, why not? Um, and of course I definitely have my Amazon ads to kind of continuously pump life into them so that they maintain relevancy through the years instead of through the days. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Definitely. Definitely. So, um, I remember the first time I talked to you, uh, I think I asked you, what would you do different if you could do it all over again? And you said, I would start building my email list sooner. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So how do you build your email list? Well, um, the biggest thing for the email list is that you got to offer something that they want, you know? Uh, that could be like, if you're a fiction author, you know, do not offer them a short story that you wrote some random short story. Mm-hmm. People don't care about your writing yet. They're not fans of you. They're a fan of the story. So give them something that is still a part of that story. Like write a short story prelude to the original story or write an inside, you know, side story or something. Mm-hmm. The key is, is that give them what they want or else otherwise they ain't going to sign up with nonfiction. Think about what it is that the, that would help with the information. Maybe you could write, you could create like a 30 minute mini course and have it be a free download. You know, they just got to sign up for it. And the mini course gives them visuals of what you're talking about or give them checklists or give them extra case studies. The point though is, is don't just give them a random thing or don't just say, Hey, please join my list and I'll email you the next time I got a book. Like (laughs) boring. Yeah. That's standard, huh? I, I spend a lot of time in thinking about what it is I need to give people in order to convince them to give me another chance and to read another thing of mine. 
Well, that's where I, I love your Kobayashi Ryu technique, but I think that's only for fiction books. Huh? Can you tell us about this? Yeah, sure. So the Kobayashi Maru, um, I mean, there's, there's a bit of the uh, Star Trek lore to it, but yeah. the, the actual point to this is that I like, like I was saying, you could write a prelude short story or you could write a side story or an inside story. And this is what I mean by the Kobayashi Maru, the inside story, is that say, for example, you got a character and there was something really big or really important, okay? Um, that happened in their life. Now, it's okay to talk about what it is, but you don't need to have an entire chapter telling it, okay? Instead, you can make that be the short story. So here's an example. Say there, you're in a romance, right? A romance book. And one of the characters is hesitant to date another guy. And she's hesitant because she had the most horrific experience with Mr. X. And all her friends refer to Mr. X, the night of Mr. X. Oh my gosh, the night of Mr. X, you know? <laughs> oh yes, that's true. Yep. Oh, yeah, that was terrible. Now, as an author, you don't have to actually tell the story of the night of Mr. X. All you have to do is just make it infer that she had a really bad experience and so move on, right? This is why yeah. she is the way she is. But what you can do is you could write the date with Mr. X and make that your short story that you offer as an email. I tell you that if the person read the rest of your book, they're going to want to know what happened to Mr. X. And they will definitely not only sign up for your email list, but they'll download the book and actually read it. And now you have that person who's read two of your stories. And if your writing is on par, you're, you're really converting her into a fan. Yeah, yeah. I love it. I'm, I'm incorporating it in one of my books. I haven't published it yet, though, but... Uh, I think I heard that in one of your podcasts. Oh yeah, thanks, Dave. I'm, I and and so I'm. I can't wait to publish this next book and uh, use that technique. And um, I'll let you know how it goes because it sounds awesome. Really sounds good. good. Yeah, yeah. So I respect your time. How much time do you have left? I have a couple more questions. I actually have to get going. Um, gotta oh, go pick okay. up the kiddos. All right, then. How about one more question? You got it. Okay, let's see. I'm going through. Oh, man, I got like 20 more. Let me see. 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 Okay, what's on the horizon for you? What are your next projects? Well, I am working on a, a comic book right now. Um, yeah, just I really wanted, to, I've always wanted to make a comic book. And at the same time, too, we were writing an article. Like, I want to write an article on how to make a comic book for mm -hmm. Kindlepreneur. So we're putting together this comic book that's called The Writer's Life. And it's just kind of making jokes, you know, sort of like a comic strip book, really, about what it's like to be a writer. But that's graphic heavy. Who's doing the graphics? Well, same guy I had do the original graphics on Kindlepreneur. He's this artist out of um, Brazil. His name's Chow Prado. And so I'm just having him do it just because it's, you know, he's been working with me technically for four plus years. Okay. All right. I respect your time. Uh, so where can we find you online? You can find me at Kindlepreneur. That's like Kindle Entrepreneur, kindlepreneur.com. Right on. Thanks, Dave. It's been real. Thanks again. And let's keep in touch. You bet. And sounds good. Okay. Okay, my friends. If you like that podcast, then remember to go to zbooks.co and go get all the materials to start your authoring career. We have a seven-day challenge every week, so there's no excuse to not finish your book. And remember, please go to iTunes and upvote this podcast and Google Play. 
Okay, I look forward to seeing you at the top. <laughs>